Welcome to Divorce Dialogues. I'm Katherine Miller. Divorce Dialogues brings expert guests to the airways to talk through your divorce questions and fill in the gray areas about separating. From thinking about divorce, to how to behave during divorce, to what to do after, this is Divorce Dialogues. Welcome to Dialogue on Divorce. I'm Catherine Miller. I'm the founder of the Miller Law Group and director at the Center for Understanding and Conflict. And I am on a mission to change how people divorce and help them divorce with dignity and respect. And my guest today, again, is Nancy Collier. Nancy is a psychotherapist, interfaith minister, author, and public speaker. She writes regularly for the Huffington Post and for Psychology Today. She's a longtime student of Eastern spirituality, awareness practices, grounds her work with her clients. And in addition, Nancy spent 25 years as a top-ranked equestrian on the National Horse Show circuit, and she serves as a performance consultant to competitive athletes and professional artists. Welcome, Nancy. It's great to have you back on the show. Thanks. Happy to be here. You know, and we're talking before the show about the subject of our talk today, and I think it really is a great one. How do you know when it's time to leave? People think about it, I think, for years before they pull the plug. Sometimes people come to my office, you know, one time, and then they come back a year later, and then they come back a year later, and then the third year, you know, they're like, all right, it's time to do this. I think there's a lot of thinking, a lot of sort of soul searching that goes into it. But how do you know when it's finally time to go? Well, the delightful thing that I'm going to lead with is it's different for everybody. (laughs) I wish, I wish, I wish I could say, here's when you know, when it turns from orange to red, right? That's when it's time to go. But it's not easy. That's like the most ridiculous thing that could come out of a human's mouth to say it's not easy to know when it's time to go. What I want to start by saying is that only you know, only you know in your absolute gut, in your bones. Usually what I've seen in my practice is not when you know that you're going to be okay going forward, not when you know it's going to be safe, but when you know you cannot do this anymore, you cannot stand waking up every day with the question, is it time to go? You cannot bear whatever it is that is going on in the relationship itself. It's like grace comes and says, I don't know where on earth I'm headed, but I can't do this anymore. And One of the things that I hear from so many people is that they get caught up in the pressures uh, coming from all different directions. You know, the friend who's like, you've got this girl, you're strong, you have all these ideas about how you're going to be and you're going to be out there. The other friend who says, you know, oh God, oh God, don't leave, don't leave. (laughs) You know, when I left, everything, it's terrible. I wish to God I'd stayed. And then the one who says, no big deal. You'll go to wine tastings. You'll meet someone else. And most women get caught up in this sort of external pressure. I mean, I have one client who couldn't lean on a friend anymore because she felt like every time she talked about the relationship, friend was like, well, you know, fish or cut bait. Like, I can't hear about this anymore. You can do this. So, A woman who's going through this terrible experience also 
in many cases, and I'm sad to say this, ends up a little bit abandoned by the people around her because they're not empathizing with the back and forthness, which, as you said, insightfully, sometimes has to go on for years. You know, it's also really interesting, Nancy Collier, my experience is, is that oftentimes people will come in and they'll say, I'm here because my spouse wants a divorce and I didn't think it was good, but I didn't think it was that bad. You know, and people are just in really different places into how much they're going to tolerate. I think what you're saying is it's not the same for all people. You know, something that could be totally manageable for one person would really be totally intolerable for somebody else. Completely true. And part of the journey to getting a divorce is such a personal journey is really doing your own inventory of what is okay for me to give up and what is not okay for me to give up. I think one of the things that happens to women that's so painful, and I've witnessed it so many times and I've lived it in relationship as well, is where little by little it sort of sneaks up on you. You realize that you've given away so much of what mattered to you and you're doing with, okay, a little less here or a little less here. And well, you know, He helps me with, you know, the house and the kids. And there are these little deaths that go on one by one. And then, God willing, we get to a place where we say, God, I just can't do without that. I can't do without that. Or I can't do with this. Let's say that he's, you know, very angry or he's very withholding or whatever it is. I can't do without that emotional connection. We get to a place where we say... It can't happen if we don't take a very serious inventory of, you know, what's our line. And so much of that, Catherine, has to do with how we're raised. You know, whether we're raised to really deeply feel we deserve a loving relationship. And what does a loving relationship mean? Does it mean he takes you out on Valentine's Day? Maybe not after 20 years. Does it mean that he's willing to care about you and be on your side when things are difficult? Does it mean that he does the laundry? We have to know inside ourselves, what does that mean to you to be part of a couple? I know plenty of women who are just delighted that, you know, they have a second hand with the kids and somebody who drives them somewhere or who does the taxes. That's enough. And I know other women who, if he can't really deeply understand them and they have a real soul connection, can't bear to be in it. So that you have to answer for yourself. One thing I would say, though, and this is something I've noticed over years, and particularly with women who are, I'm going to say high functioning, okay, is that women who are high functioning, I'm not going to say often, but a drop down from often, will come up with coping strategies when they're not getting the thing that they want, when they're putting away their truth or sort of accepting things that are really deeply not okay with them. For example, they'll have a couple glasses of wine with dinner, or maybe they'll have a glass of wine during the day, or maybe they will work too much, 
or there are all sorts of these, and no one will know that. But what they're doing, in a sense, is they're numbing out the not okayness. So I would often counsel women, you know, see if first you can take out the ways that you're numbing out what's not okay. Because I've seen women hang out waiting to see if they get ready to have a divorce for years, in part because their coping strategies are working, but that keeps them stuck and paralyzed. So one of the first things I do is kind of check through, how are you dealing with this? Now, if we remove that, is it unbearable? Is there a different answer? Is it clearer? And some women come to that answer and decide to stay anyway and go back to the coping strategies. But often they don't because it's like they can really listen to their heart then. This is Dialogue on Divorce. We're here every other Wednesday from 5 to 5.30 on WVOX 1460 AM and WVOX.com. Or perhaps you're listening on our podcast, which is available on my website, www.westchesterfamilylaw.com and on iTunes and SoundCloud. And I'm talking today with Nancy Collier about how you know when it's time to go. And we've really, Nancy, been talking about women. Do you think it's different for men? It depends. One of the things that And this is changing for sure. But one of the things that men talk about less, I will say, they certainly talk about it less, is the fear that they won't meet another partner. I don't know why exactly that is, but it's noticeably different between the genders. And of course, there is the issue of the finances, and that's certainly changing too. I would say that that's almost balanced now. But one of the great considerations that men and women have, whoever is is not earning enough to cover themselves, is what am I going to do? There's terror. I can't even call it fear. So in general, the men that come in are not stopped, I guess you would say. They don't stay in it for a very long time after they're unhappy because they think they'll be single for the rest of their lives. And a lot of women do. So that's a big difference. You know, you talk about coping strategies, and I'm wondering about the role of extramarital affairs as a coping strategy. Individual again. And I think it is a way of trying to get what you're not getting in the marriage. And I think at times, of course, it has to do with the anger, um, deprivation, and expressing it that way. But so often, you know, I had a woman in my office the other day, and she talked about her relationship with the man she was having an affair with, that he was offering her the kindness that she so desperately wished she could get from her husband, and yet she had kids, young kids, and couldn't yet move. And so, you know, it's so individual, too, because I've seen couples that can move past infidelity. They can really move through it. And it's so painful, but they can look at the infidelity as what was not working in the relationship and how both of them were suffering. And that's where they went when the healing process works. But certainly it's one of the coping strategies and usually doesn't end well. No. And do you think that sometimes people use 
other relationships, you know, whether or not they're physical or just emotional, to kind of bridge that gap, that fear, the fear of aloneness for men and for women. Because, I mean, certainly men are not the only people who have affairs, right? You're just talking about someone, a woman who does. And I think that sometimes people kind of distract themselves with that while they go through the decision to leave or they force the other person by the revelation that this is going on. Do you agree with that? I think it's true. I think that we have all these unconscious processes at work. And I think sometimes we get into a relationship because we know somewhere unconsciously or consciously that this is going to be the fracture that we need to make this happen. And absolutely, people use their relationships to get what they're not getting and to create change. You know, so much of that process on the way to divorce is this stuck place of it's not working. But as you said, is it not working well and enough to break up a family or to end, you know, 10 years, 20 years, whatever it is? It's it's so hard to really know the answer to that. And so these extramarital affairs, they create change. They put a they put a bomb in something, whether it's never found out or it is found out. They alleviate the stuckness. Nancy Collier, do you think that there's a sort of, I don't know, a strategy for thinking about this or a grid of questions that one could ask oneself to evaluate whether or not it's right. time to go? Well, I, I generally like to ask people, what's really important to you? Like, let's really pare it down. What are the non-negotiables? And that's a real contemplative process. And then what am I willing to do without? And that has to happen in a certain way separate from the partner. And then what am I getting? And what am I giving up? Take a really hard look at that, not just in practical ways, but emotionally. Then I like to ask people, what's the real suffering that that is bringing you to this question? Because by nature, we form relationship and we stay in relationship. So if you're considering this fracture there's something really suffering in you. Usually it's, it comes out as some small things or very, very concrete things. But if you just hang out with that a little bit and ask yourself, where am I feeling abandoned or where am I feeling, I don't know, deeply disappointed or mistreated or not loved? These are the not paid attention to, not cherished, not valued, something in there will wiggle loose and give you some perspective on what is it I'm really suffering with. Get past the what we do so often as we're thinking about divorce is we get stuck in these narratives. He doesn't do this. He doesn't do that. She doesn't do this. She doesn't do that. But underneath that, there's some deep wound that is making us consider ending. It's so, you know, it's such a death. It's such a death divorce in a certain way. And so something really primal is being hit. 
And I would encourage people, if they can, to get very quiet with that and see if they can even bring that to the person. So much as we're thinking about divorce, so much of our conversations are about you, 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 you do this, you do that. you. And I always want all of us to bring the conversation back to, you know, when that happens, I feel deep into the resentment, deep into this process of endings, it's so hard to get people to come back to that's hurtful because our guards are up and we're so wounded and we're so hurt and there's so much wreckage at that point. But when we get to this place of a personal quiet inventory with ourselves, we can at least own I feel abandoned or I feel and if we have the courage even at the end or in the process of ending to bring that to our partner. You're listening to Dialogue on Divorce, and this is Catherine Miller. I'm talking today with Nancy Collier. And uh, Nancy, for our listeners, do you have uh, contact information in case they have any questions for you? Sure. Anyone can go to my website, which is nancycollier.com, and it's 1L, or call me in my office, 212-316-6648. And there's lots of stuff I've written for Psychology Today about this process we're talking about, which might also be helpful. That's great. As you're talking about this, I'm really thinking about the impact of blame and how I've heard many people say, you know, that it's his fault or it's her fault, you know, that this happened, this happened, this one. I'm not happy and it's you, right? Or it's our marriage. And I, I think what you're saying is maybe really tease apart what it is, because I think that so much goes on in that sort of crisis of unhappiness that leads one to make a really tremendously big decision in your life, you know, to get divorced or to get married or anything. But this divorce one, I think, is particularly challenging. And what do you think about the role of blame? I think it's the key problem that we run into. I think it's the key problem because if we don't learn how to hear difficulty and express difficulty without blame, our relationship doesn't have much hope. Blame is really the malignancy, I think, in relationship because we are not taught. It is not our fault. We are not taught how to hear another person's experience without immediately going to who's responsible for it and defending and defending our ego. And I can't hear that you're upset maybe about something that I did without defending me, why I did it, what happened. And so, and that's the whole way most couples interact. They fight over who's right. They fight over who's to blame. And we need to throw out that whole system so that when you come to me and you say, you know, hey, that really hurt me when you said that or you did that, that I can drop my me just for a moment. I can have the courage and the strength to do that. And I can say, wow, I didn't know you got hurt by that. Wow, that wasn't my intention, right? Oh, if we could find our way back to that kind of conversation, we're always fighting over Who's the original sin belong to? So I did that because you did that. Well, you did that because I did that. And and we go back and back and it's like, wow, where did I, where did we turn off 
our understanding of our original innocence. How can we get back to our original innocence? Which is why we chose each other, because we're on each other's side. So blame is a terrible place to feel when we're blaming another person. It feels just as bad as it feels to be blamed. So if we can, as you're saying, wrestle back, what is this for me? And if we can get both people to do that, and then to hear, oh, this is the hardest part, hear the other person's pain, not about what I did to you, just as a pain standing on its own, its own right. And then tomorrow we'll come back and we'll hear your pain, but no but between them. There's an and between them, not a but between them. Like we're trying to fight, always fighting for whose pain gets to be hurt, whose pain gets to be valid. That's, that's heading right to divorce court. It's so interesting because, you know, as you're speaking, I'm thinking to myself, well, of course, both people are right. Of course, both people have a perspective. When I think about my own situation, myself, I mean, I'm a conflict resolution professional. You know, I find myself catching myself all the time. My husband says, you left the cover off the toothpaste tube. And I'm like, oh, yeah, well, you didn't take the garbage out. Like, what the hell did that have to do with anything? Right? Like, huh? <laughs> where are you coming exactly. from, Catherine? And I'm like, you know, I just feel attacked, right? Yeah. And my immediate response when I feel attacked is to, you know, the best defense is a good offense. So, oh, yeah, well, you did this other thing that's way worse. One thing I also know, because I've been married a long time, and also because I do this work is that like, that's going nowhere. How is right. he going to feel better? Or how am I going to feel better? If you know, yeah. he goes away with his tail between his legs, because he didn't take the garbage out. I mean, I still left the cover off the toothpaste tube. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So you have an awareness there, you know, that you offer people in your practice, which is, wait a minute, you know, how, as you said so beautifully, you know, how's this going to help, right? When what I'm wanting to do is connect and what I'm doing is making sure we don't connect. So it's practice. That's the thing. It's really awareness and practice. So when he says, now he could be more evolved. Well, he says, okay, you left the thing off, right? I'd love for him to add to that then it gets sticky on me when that happens, right? So give me something that I can empathize with or some compassion. Oh, so you get it on your sleeve when I do that, right? So maybe in the moment, and it may sound silly with the small things, but it starts with the small things. Maybe in the moment he says, you know, you left it off again. Later at dinner, he might say to you, and you would practice this by modeling it, Sweetie, I know I, it's not a big deal about the toothpaste, but when that happens, then I get it on my sleeve or, you know, I love it to be neat and it just sort of disrupts that. So then you start to have a relationship where we understand we all have our crazy quirks. We all have our stuff. And my work as your partner is to be as gentle and protective of your wounds as I can. So it's not about yelling at you for needing the cap to be on or, as you say, competing for, well, who's suffering more? I had to take the garbage out, right? It's not that. It's like, oh, okay, so he's a little neater than I am, so I get that. It starts with your own opening your heart precisely in the moment you feel wounded with that little you left it off, right? The criticism in that. So I'm giving an opportunity to your husband to step up later and give you a place to offer compassion, offer the little bit of suffering that the toothpaste off creates. And I'm giving you an instruction, which is in that moment where I feel hit, 
can I just like in Aikido, you know, that martial art who move with it. And see, can I open my heart a little bit more here? That's a warrior's heart that opens when it feels wounded. And I, I think it's a lot about intent, too. So if I can express intent, not just criticism, or hear it, hear what the intent is behind, I think that's really an important thing as well. Right, because sometimes we have a partner that can express the intent. And sometimes we don't, as you said, and then you are the grown-up in that moment, which is having to intuit. And to do that is a practice because, boy, does your life change when you look for what's the pain in this that he's expressing and what's the intention. And I also think that, you know, people say things when they fight. I'm changing the subject a little bit, Nancy, you know, and they say things like, well, then maybe we should just divorce, you know, and and Uh, I think like, uh, yes, I know, we uh, we can have a whole nother show on those words too, and people take them seriously. And do you have any quick comments about that before the end of the show? Don't do it. Shut the back door until you want to open it. Don't do that. That's my three words. Don't do that. Don't keep saying, well, then we should end this or you just destroy that whole dialogue doesn't work. Because you, you think that you're, you're just saying that, that you need protection, but really what you're doing is offering a, a sort of Armageddon solution. That's right. That's right. It's an apocalypse for a relationship, and it doesn't create connection, which is ultimately what you're trying to do. It says, there's a back door here. I can get out. So everything you do, it's just an opportunity for this thing to, you know, disappear. It doesn't work in creating connection. All right. Fear. Fear is what it creates. I think we're out of time, Nancy Collier. Thank you so much for being our guest on Dialogue on Divorce. My pleasure. 